It's the Security Weekly News wrap-up for the week of 13 March 2022, episode 196. Uh, we got War Rant, SATCOM, Node IPC, Counterfeit Chips, Go, AI, and Shortwave Radio. All this and show wrap-ups on this episode of Security Weekly News. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Cybercriminals are working overtime. Last year in the fourth quarter alone, phishing attacks disguised as COVID testing information increased by 521%. Barracuda has identified 13 types of email threats and how cybercriminals use them to steal money from your company or personal information from your employees and customers. Find out about the 13 email threat types and how Barracuda can provide complete email protection for your teams, your customers, and your reputation. Get your free ebook at securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. That's securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. Monitoring and maintaining compliance is a never-ending struggle with a high price of failure. Firemont helps customers meet complex and varying compliance requirements. Firemont has fully customizable reporting, analytics, assessments, and dashboards to meet the compliance needs of any organization. With Firemont, compliance reports take a tenth of the time, and real-time continuous compliance eliminates the anxiety and headaches of audit preparation. Improve security outcomes by improving security operations with Firemont. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Firemont to learn more. All right, I'm Doug White, and this is the Security Weekly uh, News Wrap-Up Show, episode 196. This week on Application Security Weekly, number 188, John and Mike first had Farsad Abbasi, uh, the founder and chief security officer at Forward Security on the show. Farsad was on to talk about how do you actually build and run software securely. Um, I, I realize we all think we know how to do that, but it's a very interesting discussion about how AppSec is usually not part of the traditional security approach where we, you know, we sort of block things and, and you know, and, and they've never really done it. I mean, there's always a lot of conversation around this kind of AppSec stuff uh, on that on this show in particular, but in, in the real world uh, alongside. In the second segment, they had the AppSec news. On Business Security Weekly number 253, Jason, Matt, and Tyler Robinson had Jody Brazil, uh, the CEO at Firemont, on the show. Uh, Jody was on talking about uh, something that's uh, always near and dear to my heart, firewall rules at scale. Um, one of the things that we all know is firewalls sound awfully easy, right? I mean, it's like block this and allow that. It's, it's a pretty simple concept. And it probably is simple if you have one firewall and you got you know, 10 rules. But when you start talking about scale and you have cloud and you have worldwide presence and you have thousands of firewalls and millions of rules, because we also are always telling you to segment your network, which means all of a sudden you have lots of firewalls and you may have millions of firewall rules around the world. Well, you know, it just takes one wrong, one wrong rule in there to bring the whole house down. So an interesting segment about that. In the second segment, they had the business security news. On Enterprise Security Weekly 265, Adrian, Katie, and Tyler Robinson had Joanna Irigard, the VP of Product at Detectify, on the show. And this segment was about the attack surface market and how you do need additional tools beyond DAST and SAST. 
and and they did focus pretty much on how Detectify uh, does like online collaboration to crowdsource research, which is, is a very to me modern you know concept that really is rooted in in really old ideas of you know sharing and open source and all these kind of things that have been around a long time. So uh, a really uh, again an interesting segment. In the second segment, Pablo Zero, the product manager at Core Security, was on the show. Uh, Pablo was on to talk about proactive cybersecurity programs and how you can set up programs that continually assess risk rather than just being reactionary or static even, which is the worst possible scenario. But how do you continually assess risk and how do you constantly evolve to, in order just to stay ahead of the game? In the third segment, the enterprise security news. On Security Weekly News number 195, Jason Wood was on to talk about the cyber war in Eastern Europe and how that war between hackers on both sides may well threaten the West as well. And just how ready are we to deal with, uh, you know, as hackers here get involved, uh, the, you know, Ukraine was calling for volunteers to join their IT army and all this kind of stuff. And, and, I, and a lot of people have jumped on board that. And how ready is the West, you know, if infrastructure and other components, uh, you know, that we depend on every day start to come under attack from nation states virtually. So, I mean, they already are. But, you know, if that really gets, you know, serious on Paul Security Weekly number 732, first up was G. Mark Hardy, the president at National Security Corporation. Uh, G. Mark, who's always, a, you know, he's a great person and, and he's been involved in, in just about everything, you know, uh, down through the years has been running Hacker Jeopardy at DEF CON for a while. I, I wish they'd hire me to write for it, but you know, that's what are you gonna, you know, what are you gonna do? Uh, but Gmark talked about everything from, you know, being a captain in the Navy to entrepreneurship and is always a fun person to talk to. And they had a lot of, and I, I was on the show, so we had a lot of talk in this segment about, you know, what kind of CISO should you hire? And I got to ask one of my questions about how technical should somebody be. And there's some discussion about that. Also, Vicious Dogs uh, on that segment. So, you know, you definitely check it out. Uh, in the second segment, uh, another round of awesome guests, uh, Lawrence Nunn and Ricky Tan, the CEO and co-founder, uh, respectively, of Cyberspatial Inc. That's their new venture. Uh, again, like GMARC. Uh, Lawrence and Ricky been around a while in this space, and uh, this is two really smart uh, persons, and uh, they've been doing all kinds of things, and this is their new venture. Uh, also, Paul confused West Point with some, with Ron's Sailing Academy or something several times, so you know it was kind of amusing. A uh, lot of fun segment, super sexy lighting if you want to check that one out, and of course, in the third segment, the security news. Uh, and if you're wondering, if you're watching that, and I got some qu inquiries, my shirt is from Da Pokey Shack in Kona, uh, Hawaii. So, you know, if you're ever in Kona and you want like really good pokey, that, that's where the shirt came from. So, uh, so several people wrote me and said, what does a shirt mean? And, you know, it's... <laughs> And, I, and I, there was even, you know, edging into that. Yeah, we won't get into that. But uh, so my thread of the week, uh, I always base these on stuff I'm reading uh, in the news. I, and, and I decided to call this one Evil Empires. Um, so, you know, here's the thing. In, say, the Star Wars universe, there's the Empire and there's the Rebels, right? And the Empire are the bad guys, and they usually wear dark clothes and muted color schemes or, or sometimes really bold things like, you know, red. And, of course, the stormtroopers wear these white and black uh, outfits. Everybody knows all that stuff. And when the people from the Empire show up, 
you know, you get music in minor keys, dissonant chords, all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, it all tells you, well, you know, that, that the rebels are probably the good guys in the story. They get, you know, major, major keys and stuff like that. But unfortunately we don't live in a world that simple as a star Wars universe in our world. The empire is buying neon from the rebels and selling refined fertilizer to ta the Tatooines. I mean, not to mention the Empire sponsoring a whole bunch of pod racers up to and including an Empire citizen named, well, let's call him Nikita in the pod racing world class. Now, the government of, let's call them, say, the Germandos buy all their fuel from the Empire, but they don't like the Empire very much because there was this whole thing a few years back. Well, let's just say there was some double crossing and redouble crossing and backstabbing and, you know, cannibalism, corpse abuse. I don't know what all happened at the Battle of the Fifth Moon of Stalingini, but let's just say it was bad. And try not to think about Uncle Othos talking about just how juicy human flesh is. But anyway, in our world, we have the good guys, in air quotes, and the bad guys, in air quotes, too. But it's really hard to figure out which uh, is which, and is there actually any difference? I mean, at the same time, one side's tearing into the other side about whatever their latest endeavor is, even though that side is also conducting a similar endeavor somewhere else, and they're all ignoring something awful that's completely going on over there on the other side of the world, and maybe those other coups down there, well, we buy from them and sell to them and invest in them, and they invest in us, so if you buy a product, say a brand new Lando Calrissian model computer, the chips are made with components from all over the world, including the bad guys. I mean, let's call the we'll call the bad guys the Russianoids, and those other bad guys we'll call them the Chineseums. I mean, all that stuff's all assembled. The chips are put together on the motherboards, and they're assembled in another country that was also bad, and then it was good, and now it's sort of a combination of good and bad. But we're not really sure. But they do have great food and cheap assembly. We'll call them the Vietnovians. Now, half of all those are all under sanctions from each other or all of the above or NATO or anybody else or some country in Africa that was just recently formed. But we, you know, we still do business with all of them. And half of them are attacking this ally of the other one or the other enemy of that one. But all we all still need that oil and gas that the first one's providing. And the other half, yes, I know that's three halves, but this is just so confusing. I'm just going to go with it. I mean, they're all fighting the other three while at the same time, while they're selling arms to both sides in a four-way war that is all being actually fought on the moons of Meepsor by the Knights who say knee. I mean, I guess my point is we're still living in this confusing old world of sovereignty that was defined by this river you know, or this mountain range. But at the same time, we're also living in this virtual world of no commercial boundaries and no information boundaries where a single tweet could cause a cataclysm. I mean, I don't even really understand how this all works. I mean, if the Germans are buying oil from the Russians, but boycotting Russian vodka and the United States is boycotting vodka, borscht, oh, mm, borscht, uh, caviar and Russian cars, you know, so you can't buy a Lada, you can't buy a Cuban cigar because we're still boycotting Cuba from something that happened like, what, 50, 60 years ago? But, you know, okay, we still boycott Cuban cigars and you have to fly to Toronto first if you want to go to Cuba. But, you know, we still invest in businesses. We still sell iPhones there that were made in China. And even though China's under a dozen different sanctions from the United States and everybody else, but, you know, we really want to keep Apple's stock price up and as such, we need rare earth from Rhodesia. So we put up with good old Idi Amin and labor from Vietnam. So we just kind of gloss the whole thing over. And assembly in China, 
of the chips and motherboards. And well, those sanctions only apply to shrimp paste and Chinese made whiskey like Wuliang. But, you know, it doesn't apply to iPhones and that sort of thing because we really want iPhones and we want to sell the iPhones in Russia because the oligarchs want to buy them. And the oligarchs are buying super yachts that are being made in Virginia and hanging around in Newport, Rhode Island to buy up all the VIP tickets to see Dylan go electric. And it's just not really clear. I mean, if all that didn't confuse you, well, wow, that's pretty impressive. It confused me. I mean, even if one side wears red and the other side wears gold, which one do you cheer for? I mean, I do know this. We can put up no fly zones over Chad, but it's a lot harder to keep information from flowing there. In fact, it's not even clear we don't want information to flow. I mean, Apple says we got to keep selling iPhones to Russians so they can get valid news from news sources outside of Russia. Can we put up a virtual iron curtain and bottle up all that information over there, but then just keep selling? I don't know. It's all very confusing. But all this rant came to the fact that Germany said you shouldn't use Kaspersky antivirus because guess what? It's based in Russia. And I don't disagree with that. China and Russia and even the U.S. has a lot of ability to force companies to do their bidding for better or for worse. I mean, I mean, if, whichever side you're on, if, if it's your side, it's always for better. And if the other side, it's always for worse, right? It doesn't really matter what the actual facts are. And all of them may well do that. I mean, if the Kremlin calls and says, hey, Mr. Kaspersky, you need to build backdoors into your software so that we can strike at the hearts of our enemies and eat their livers. Well, you probably aren't going to say no. And there's a bit of a problem then for both Kaspersky and anyone using their software. China, same thing. Vietnam, same thing. U.S., same thing. I mean, could you even find a solely made U.S. product anyway? I mean, if you did, half Americans wouldn't trust that because the owner has on the wrong color cap. So maybe William Gibson's vision of a corporate rulership being the new thing may well come to pass. I mean, I know the Russians are rapidly moving to implement great firewall a la China restrictions so that they can completely control what is seen and heard in their country, just like the Chinese have been trying to do for years. And it's not a village. And I'm not sure how well these restrictions are actually going to play out because I know everybody in all those countries. And I've been to both those countries. I've been to China many, many times. I've been to Russia once. But, you know, everybody there is finding ways around all this stuff. I mean, we basically all live in the supply chain. I mean, everyone. I mean, all of us. So these changes affect everyone, you know, equally. It, it is not clear who the bad guys are. And no music seems to play when leaders enter the room. So you just can't tell what's going on to indicate this person's a tyrant. So we need to be careful. So, you know, anyway, I mean, it's all very complicated. The supply chain is very complicated. The products we're using are, are made by countries that are considered enemies to us. I mean, there's an iPhone here on the table. There's a dozen other pieces of equipment in this, in this studio that were probably made in China, Vietnam, you know, all kinds of countries like that. But all I'll say at the end of it is Russia, Edi Damoy. Okay? Yeah. Enough politics. Let's do the news. So CISA and the FBI indicated that there are possible threats to the satellite communication network worldwide. <laughs> that Put that one in the understatement of the year category. Uh, yesterday, the agencies uh, released a joint statement that said CISA and FBI strongly encourage 
critical infrastructure organizations and other organizations that are either SATCOM network providers or customers to review and implement the mitigations outlined in this CSA to strengthen SAT, the SATCOM network cybersecurity. They recommended, uh, there's a whole bunch of recommendations there, so if you do use SAT phones or you have a SATCOM network, you may want to read this. Um, they recommended, obviously, extra ingress and egress monitoring, secure authentication and multi-factor, least privilege and other things that make you start going, uh, are these SATCOM providers not very secure? Uh, uh, if Larry was here, we could, or Tyler, we could ask, but uh, I have a bad feeling based on this recommendation. Apparently, this was triggered after Viasat, which is a U.S. company, and they have a thing called the CASAT network which is used extensively apparently by the Ukrainian military because you need those sat phones, right? Because they, they blow up the cell towers, so you've got to be able to way to communicate. But the Ukrainian military uh, uses it, and it was attacked, and it resulted in outages all across Europe. The outage also shut down 5,800 wind turbines in Germany uh, because the wind turbines use that COSAT network in order to communicate their information and, and receive their instructions. Uh, the U.S. government is investigating this hack, and the article states that it believe, it's believed to be Russian-sponsored. Uh, you know, imagine that. Uh, and that was from the NSA. So, you know, a lot of stuff going on there, and, and there's a lot of that kind of stories out and about uh, currently. The developer of Node IPC, which is a popular NPM package, apparently... Uh, intentionally sabotaged versions of the product to protest the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Uh, the newer version, I mean, this was the, the most recent of these sabotage acts, actually deletes data and overwrites files on developers' machines who are using this library. Uh, it also then writes text files that have messages that are called, you know, peace messages. And they say things like, you know, war is bad and whatever. Uh, Node IPC is a package that's used by a lot of major libraries. Uh, and it provides a command line interface and some other things that are used uh, all over the place, especially for JavaScript. Version 10.1.1 and 10.1.2 of that package do contain malicious code that may well delete files on your system, but specifically checks. Uh, this is like some malware we've seen in the past, which checks to see if it's running on Russian systems and then doesn't execute. This is the opposite. It looks for, and it did not say exactly what it looked for. I was wondering if it looked for Cyrillic keyboards or something, but it deletes files on Russian and Belarusian systems. Initially, the package just wrote the peace messages. So it put a peace message up on your desktop if you installed it. But then it apparently expanded to include a destructive payload. For users in Russia and Belarus, the code will overwrite the contents of all the files in your system with a heart emoji. Uh, one of the most popular products that uses Node IPC is Vue.js, which is a really popular JavaScript front end uh, for development. Uh, the versions that caused file damage were taken down within 24 hours of being posted. And the article does advise that if you have an application that uses Node IPC, you really should pin the dependency to a safe version instead of a current version. Because a lot of times we have dependencies in uh, compilation, uh, you know, it'll be pinned to the most current version. You can see that tag. Uh, so they're saying you should probably pin your dependencies to version 9.2.1 which did not have the, uh, the, the malicious content. 
There have always been counterfeit products uh, from that $5,000 piece of DKNY luggage that you bought outside the store for $3, uh, <laughs> if you've ever done that. I remember I bought, I bought a piece of luggage that, you know, it looked, it looked like uh, a really expensive piece. of. I didn't think it was a piece of expensive luggage, mind you. I just needed an extra bag to bring back from Vietnam, so I went down to this uh, market uh, that they call the thieves market. And I bought this, you know, what they call a knockoff suitcase that, you know, it says DK and while over it, but it, you know, it, I bought it for like $3. Yeah. It didn't last very long, uh, but that's okay. It lasted long enough to get back to the U S um, you know, orange drop capacitors. If you've ever wanted orange drop capacitors, very famous. Uh, I had a friend who was trying to seek those out one time and, you know, it, we found some that were actually, if you cut them open, they were really just really cheap Chinese capacitors that had been made to look like orange drop capacitors are being sold for inflated prices, you know, so that kind of stuff. I mean, if there's a scarce and expensive item, somebody will counterfeit it. I don't care what it is from shoes to jewelry to electronics, you name it. Uh, if you go to Temple Street in Hong Kong, good old Temple Street, you know, you can buy a Dr. Dr. Dre Beats headphones for five bucks, you know, buy six sets for $10 or what, you know, just like always, they'll probably break in an hour, but you know, they, they got the name on them. Um, but anyway, this report was from EU and, uh, Europol reported, uh, said there's another supply chain worry. Apparently semiconductors, which are scarce at the current time are being counterfeited amid a global shortage. Some of these are just junk. Uh, and so that's not as much of a malicious directly kind of thing as it is that, well, you know, if you're, if your uh, dialysis machine or your pacemaker fails because it's got cheap junk in it instead of, you know, the actual semiconductors it's supposed to have, or, you know, say it's an airplane control system, uh, it, you know, that's bad. Uh, there also may be the possibility that these uh, counterfeits might have malicious intent. I've been saying that for a long, long time, that if I was an evil foreign power and I was embedding code in firmware on chips, well, you know, I might have an edge if it comes down to a war. Um, you know, you think you're buying something that does a very specific set of tasks and it ends up with embedded code in a military motherboard or another kind of piece of equipment and everything has a motherboard now. I mean, your refrigerator, your stove, you know, that tank that's driving down the street, they all have motherboards in them. The article links to a Department of Homeland Security report as well that indicated that they had found evidence that Chinese workers uh, were secretly producing extra products that looked like other products and or they were repackaging rejected components as new components and then just sort of cycling them back into the assembly process. Um, you know, there's all kinds of new approaches and standards from blockchains to rules and whatever to testing that are trying to manage this going forward. But it is really going to be a constant battle, I think. You know, I was standing on a pier once and this guy tried to sell me some fake silver earrings and, you know, nothing new there. And that same guy probably been standing on that pier since the ancient Egyptians rode up there and got ripped off for, you know, fake silver earrings. Really, I mean, the ancient Egyptians actually rode up to that pier. So it's kind of a cool place to stand. But there's still people there trying to rip you off today. Really. There are two games that I always find frustrating. Uh, Go is one of them. And the other one is Chinese chess. I, I really like them both, and they're both super fun. And if you've never played Chinese chess or Go, they are really fun. Uh, they're actually not too hard to learn, uh, and there's but there's always seems to be those old men sitting in tea rooms and parks who can just beat you senseless at them. Just like 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 uh, you know Western chess. If you go to the, if you go down to Washington Square Park or something, there's some guy sitting there with a chessboard. He's gonna beat you. 
I mean, he's going to beat you every single time unless you're awfully good. But there's always these old men in Chinese tea rooms and stuff, and they've got Chinese chess sets or go sets, and they want to play you for, you know, for some money or whatever, and they beat you senseless, and then they laugh at you a lot. Not that that happened to me at the House of Purple Clouds in Nanjing, but you know what you did, Li Wei. You know what you did. But anyway, Go is a really complex game. It looks really simple. It's really easy to learn, but it's a really complex game with massive numbers of permutation. And, you know, you sit down there and, there, you know, but there, there is something unique about it. AI really likes it. A lot like chess, you know, like, like Western chess. AI really likes Go. And AI is very well suited to all those kerjillion different permutations and thinking them through and finding new and, and unusual approaches to it. So Google used DeepMind, which is one of their AIs, back in 2016, and they had DeepMind create another AI that was called AlphaGo. And AlphaGo was able to not only learn the game, but it was able to beat humans at the game very handily. AlphaGo went on to beat the human world champions at Go and so forth. And I mean, this is, if you've never seen Go in in, uh, in Asia, in, in especially East Asia, it's a huge thing. I and mean, a lot of a lot of players, tournaments, and all kinds of stuff. Well, AlphaGo then created AlphaGo Zero, and AlphaGo Zero learned the game from the original AlphaGo, and then went on to beat the original AlphaGo hundred to nothing. <laughs> like like this AI is a lot better than the original AI. Well, so recently in the Advocate Cup China Professional Go Championship, a player named Liu Ruiqi uh, was suspended for a year after the Chinese Go Association claimed that Liu was using an AI in order to win. They did not say how the player was caught or how it was being done, but the play was being conducted online. So probably like a lot of other online contests, it's pretty easy to sort of cheat. Uh, you know, and so just to recap, an AI program built another AI program. A human was caught cheating with the AI program. And, you know, so can you say cyborg Skynet? I mean, all that stuff is, is really interesting to me. And I was always wondering how many people were cheating with AIs and things on like online poker games, online chess and stuff like that. I was playing online chess one and I, I swear this guy was playing not because I'm so awesome at chess, but just because that person didn't seem like they should have been that good. You know, I mean, like, wow. And it was, and, and you watch the moves and it's like, that's, that's new and different. Anyway, since we're on the whole AI thing, a report from IDC said that uh, corporate spending on AI tech is expected to grow to 120 billion US dollars in by 2025 in the United States, which is a 26% increase each year for the next four years. The report was from 2021. Um, retail and banking represented the largest industries in machine learning. Uh, they represented about $20 billion of investments by 2025. But the fastest rate of spending increases is in media and financial trading. So some of this automation of customer service and advertising, you know, bots never sleep. AI can predict what you want to do, what you're going to do even before you do it, a la Minority Report. Well, maybe at least AI marketing can figure out how to get you to buy that new guitar by hitting you with an ad or a discount at just that right moment. At least that's who I'm blaming for this new guitar. Yeah. But Gartner reported that companies were planning to spend $7 billion just on AI chatbots in the customer service realm. Um, 
the report goes on to talk about creating deep fakes of your departed loved ones and so forth, not to mention reanimation of old photos and such like that. Uh, who knows what else they're going to reanimate in the not too distant future. Of course, we obviously have autonomous vehicles on the horizon, uh, AI bartenders, and who knows what all could, could get scary, you know, Skynet and all that kind of fun stuff. And finally, a multinational collection of programmers, hackers, information warriors, etc., has been pieced together by a ragtag band of people working to attack Russian media propaganda and show what is happening in the Ukraine to Russian citizens who have been rapidly moved into a single source environment of state news going, everything is fine. The war is being won against the evil Nazis next door. Yes, all is well. Um, so the hackers went after them. There's all sorts of tools that they've developed that pop up surprise information on people's screens about death tolls on civilian anti-war videos and news sites that work to try to evade the government firewalls and databases. Um, you know, and they also have been producing databases of docked Russian military information with like their personal, you know, where they live, their families and so forth. And all this is trying to support people that are behind this new virtual Iron Curtain. And we all know, at least starting with the Vietnam War, um, that uh, during the Vietnam War, the fact that they were showing the actual, you know, cost of this combat, they were showing injured soldiers and so forth, really turned the tide in the United States of people against that, that uh, military action because they were seeing what war was actually like for the first time. Social media has taken that to the nth degree. You know, so tweets, uh, Instagrams, TikToks, uh, you name it, all that stuff's been showing the cost of war. And so the hackers want to make sure that people inside Russia are actually seeing that. Now, Mr. Putin recently put in place a new law in Russia called the fake news law, which basically says anyone who disagrees with his position and the state news media will go to the gulag for 15 years. And, and that alone caused a lot of Western media outlets to pull their people out of Russian space due to the threat to their employees. Millions of VPN downloads have been done in Russia in the last few weeks as citizens there try to get a lifeline to non-state news or just to be able to get to that person they follow on Instagram or whatever before the door slams shut. Tor has seen their use skyrocket inside of Russia. And likewise, hackers are doing what they do best. I mean, you know, imagine that. Four hours of daily news reports are now being broadcast on the frequencies of 15, of, of 15735, so 15735 kilohertz and 5875 kilohertz in the early evening uh, and just before midnight uh, Ukrainian time. So if you have a shortwave radio and, and you're, you're seeing this, you can certainly try to tune into those broadcasts a la these old time you know things, the Voice of America and all the stuff that used to be broadcast to the Soviet Union. So... Look, everybody, keep up the good work. I mean, you're fighting a good fight. We're proud of you. Hang in there. And that is a wrap-up the week of 13 March 2022. I'm Doug White. I'll see you next week on the Security Weekly News.